two disclaimers. One is, I had to dust it off, I haven't given it before, but it was supposed to be back in August, but our household came down sick, so I didn't do it. So I had one in reserve, which was nice when Christian said, hey, can you cover on November 6th? I said, yeah, I can. So this one actually goes back to when we were studying the Apostles' Creed, and the stuff that's in here is still applicable. So it's not like this is all going to be, what does that connect to? The other disclaimer is, this is, it's full of scripture references. I would encourage you, don't bother to chase the scripture references because you'll miss whatever comes next. If, if you're really so motivated that you want to chase them down, let me know and I can get you a copy of this. But not on this printer because I don't know how to run it. Humankind has a condition. It is highly contagious. It is universal. Everyone has it. In fact, everyone was born with it. And as far as human effort goes, it is irreparable. No vaccine, no treatment, no amount of human effort can fix this. It's been around almost as long as there have been people. It is fatal. Always. It has countless consequences from small personal thoughts to multi-generational dysfunction. And the consequences are both temporal in this world and eternal. And all of creation suffers from the effects of this condition. And the condition is called sin. Probably not a surprise by the time I got to the end of the intro. Sin is not a popular topic. Certainly not these days, and I don't know that it ever has been a popular topic. The Puritans did write a lot of sermons about sin. If you ever happen to read some of these, you go, boy, this would have been really heavy to sit under in the congregation for a four-hour church service while this guy does like an hour and a half sermon on sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's a classic sermon. But boy, it's heavy. It is, you, you kind of walk out of church going, oh my God. This isn't going to be like that. Talking about sin makes people uncomfortable. It makes people feel guilty. Feeling guilty about sin is not necessarily a bad thing, because when all is said and done, we are. All of us. So what is sin? By definition, the biblical word hamartia, it means to miss the mark. Back in the day, it would be like an archery term. You're shooting for the bullseye, and it goes off into the woods. You missed the mark. In other words, to miss the mark in life, to fall short of the goal. If life is a win-lose proposition, as opposed to being graded on the curve, if you miss the mark, you lose. But we've all missed the mark. We've all lost. Oh, there's another 
churchy term, lost. That's us. We try. We may have had the best of intentions, the most up-to-date checklists, the most ironclad will, and we will still fall short. Why? Because the mark isn't just doing really good. The mark is perfection. Scripture says, Be ye perfect as your Father is perfect. Your Heavenly Father. Guess what? That's a bar nobody can achieve. Except Jesus, because if you dig into the Trinity, He is the Father. Therefore you shall be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5. We're not perfect. We fall. We try. We sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin isn't just a behavior. It's not about something we do or don't do. In the confession of sin, and I think it's probably in the communion service that we're going to do, it says, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and in what we have left undone. If there's good that we saw that we should have done and we didn't, might be sin. But God's desire is for us to be perfect. Now, fortunately, God is a realist, and he knows we're not going to be. And what is the consequence of sin? For the wages of sin is death. Which always takes me back to the Garden of Eden. If the wages of sin is death, how many sins can you commit before you have the death penalty? Exactly one. None of us are sinless. We all have the death penalty. God could have, in his righteousness, waited for us to make the very first mistake in our lives and gone. But he doesn't. That's called grace. That's called mercy. Mercy is, being, is not being given what you deserve. Grace is being given what you don't deserve. And that's where all of us are. So death in this life, physical death, is a product of sin. But if you get into Revelation, you realize it is also spiritual death, which is called the second death. Eternal separation from God in hell. It's real. There's another topic that isn't popular. Hell. If heaven's real, hell's real. That's how it works. So we're all guilty. We all miss the mark. Fortunately, that is not the end of the story. It's all true. The Bible confirms everything that we've covered so far. But truth alone is only part of the story. We are supposed to speak the truth in love. Are you ready for the love part? It's the last bit of Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 starts off with, the wages of sin is death. And here's the love part. The gracious gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. Isn't it interesting that the wages of sin is death? When you sin, you earn death. If you were to work your whole life and nobody ever paid you, you would consider yourself to have been ill-used. If you work your whole life at sin and God withholds your wages, that would not be fair. You have earned death. They are the wages of sin. But the gracious gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life isn't a wage. You can't earn eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. They're totally different categories. One is wages. You earn it. You expect it. The other is a gift you do not deserve. And how do we get it? In Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the big reason that Jesus, one of the big reasons, Jesus came to earth and became one of us so that he could pay the price for all that we had earned. And he paid it because his death covered our debt. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That was us. That's Luke 19. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10. And the classic, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. Jesus' death and provision was actually foreshadowed in the Old Testament when Abraham took Isaac on the mountain and was told to sacrifice him. And I cannot comprehend what Abraham must have gone through in that whole process. But he trusted God and he was obedient and it said it was counted to him for righteousness. And Isaac asks, well, where's the land for the burnt offering? How does dad answer that question? And by the way, Isaac was not a little boy at this time. He must have willingly also done this because he was probably in his late teens. And you don't wrestle a kid and tie him down and throw him on top of an altar in his late teens when you're a hundred something. So you got a lot of obedient people in that story. And Abraham replied, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I don't know how he knew that. But that's profound. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. If we could save ourselves, he wouldn't need to send a savior. If we could pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, if we could earn it, which that previous verse says, eternal life you cannot earn. It's a gift. So we needed a Savior. And that's what Jesus came to be. Christ died for the sin, for our sins, according to the Scriptures. 
And finally, I love this. It's one of those little, there are so many passages in scripture that if you've been a Christian any length of time and you've heard them since your youth, you go, yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, I know that. And if you stop, and this is one reason I cannot read scripture, you know, the Bible in a year, because I get about, in the beginning, God created that. Wait a minute, I could look into that. And I never get beyond like Genesis 1-3. And it's late July and I've got 66 books ahead of me. It doesn't happen. Jesus on the cross cried out, It is finished! In a loud voice, it says. The Greek word, tetelestai, has a magnificent meaning that you totally miss in English. Because what it means is paid in full. For every person who will ever trust Jesus to have paid for their sins, it has been paid in full. It was an accounting term that you used if there was a, a transaction and you had a bill of sale. At the bottom of it, you write, Te Telesta, paid in full. And that's what Jesus proclaimed. So, when we get to the Apostles' Creed, and you get down near the end of it, and it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Hang on to that. It is true. It is deep. It is eternal. It is magnificent. The Apostles' Creed is also one of those things that, you know, I, I would have to read that for a year because each phrase in it is a treasure. It's, it's a mine of wonderful stuff. John is absolutely right when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> Why will he forgive? Because it's already paid for. All we have to do is say, I accept that. Thank you. Without Jesus' payment, we are still dead in our sins and trespasses. With it, we have life eternal, joyous existence in the presence of Almighty God, face to face, and it won't kill you. Moses didn't have that privilege until he met Jesus in heaven, face to face. Because God said, no, you can't look at my face and live. I'll let you see my back. We will see God face to face. I can't even comprehend what that means. All of that for all eternity. Amen. <clears throat>